0: Maybe we can pray as we begin. Father God, thank you for this opportunity. We don't want to take it for granted. Uh, We think of all those who aren't here today that would love to be here and different things prevented them. Uh, We just pray you bless each one, God, and meet their needs. We also think of needs among us, like we think of Sister Carolyn facing a procedure soon. We continue to pray for her for peace in her heart and calm. We know that you are sovereign over all things. We know you're the great physician, but sometimes even that knowledge doesn't quite sink down into our spirits like we wish, and we can still have anxiety, and we can still struggle. We pray for our peace and calm for both her and Brother Ken as they await that procedure, and we pray for healing, Lord. We're thankful for science, for medicine, for the gifts that you've given us for healing, and we pray that those things would be useful and beneficial for her moving forward. We think of others, too, who might be struggling with sickness and even sometimes mental health issues. Um, uh, We know that some among us might be suffering that in silence and not really sharing that. We pray that you would comfort them, Lord, remind them of your presence even today. And we just pray as we spend some time in your word that you would lead us into all truth through the power of your Spirit. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. 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 So I was, um, as I was reading in Romans 5, I found myself thinking about the world. And we oftentimes hear this world's getting worse and worse. And... um, Sometimes it might seem like the wicked are on the rise. And so if I was going to give a a talk or a title to this little talk, I might say, what should we do about the wicked? Because I believe that more and more as I talk to other believers, this is on our mind. We're thinking a lot about the sinner. We're thinking a lot about sort of like this sometimes faceless evil out there that's rising. And it can cause anxiety, it can cause fear, it can cause anger. And I think that the Lord was leading us even this morning into a little bit of what the answer is in the face of of these kinds of troubling news, this kind of troubling news that we oftentimes are surrounded with. So, i just read this passage one more time from Romans 5. This is starting in verse 6. For when we were still without strength, some translations say there, when we were weak, In due time, Christ died for the ungodly. For scarcely for a righteous man will one die. Yet perhaps for a good man, someone would dare even to die. But God demonstrates His own love toward us, in that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. Much more then, having now been justified by His blood, And I'm thinking of those four, those four identifications that were given this group of people in this passage. Without strength, ungodly, sinners, enemies. And I think when we look around us at the world today, we can see that the world is filled with people like that filled with people who are without strength to withstand the temptations of sin filled with people whose lives are characterized by ungodliness almost as if their lives are the opposite of God it's almost if you, the more you know about God just think of the opposite and this will characterize many in the world people who might be defined as sinners. Because not only do they sin, but it's as if that sin is who they are. They might even claim sin as a key identity factor. So they are, in effect, sinners. And even though they may not know it, we know the truth that the people in that position are enemies of God enemies of God. And we hear about it a lot. All you have to do is turn on the news and all these different topics will come up. People who have a different sexual ethic than the one that the Bible recommends. People who are whose lives are characterized by greed and by deception. Lies people who are arrogant, people who are completely anti-God and anti-everything that God stands for. But the question is, what should we do about it? What should our attitude and actions be when we hear about and even meet and get to know people in that category. Because to tell you the truth, I think that we as believers are getting this wrong. I know, I see it in my own heart, I hear it in conversations with my brothers and sisters uh, that I bump into, I think we're getting this wrong. Let's turn where... uh, Brother Darren took us in 1 John chapter 4. Yes, the world is filled with sinners. And yes, those sinners are flying in the face of the truth, sometimes proudly. But what should our stance be? In 1 John chapter 4, we have the answer. Verse 7. 1 John 4, verse 7. Beloved, let us love one another, for love is of God. And everyone who loves is born of God and knows God. He who does not love does not know God, for God is love. In this, the love of God was manifested toward us that God has sent his only begotten Son into the world that we might live through him. In this is love not that we loved God, but that he loved us and sent his Son to be the propitiation for our sins. And then this is the key. Beloved, if God so loved us, we also ought to love one another. If God so loved us, we also ought to love one another. Now, we sometimes get into conversations and we might ask the question, who is this talking about? Who is that one another in that verse? And we might say, well, this is talking about believers. We should love one another. Other believers, kind of those in the family. So that God can be glorified and manifested. But to me, I think this is falling short. Because the point is that John seems to be making... Is that we need to love others the way that Jesus loved us? And the question is, when did he love us? Did he love us after we were in? Or did he love us while we were out? Did he wait until we were clean and pure and right in our doctrine? To say, now you are worthy of my love? Or, while we were still in abject rebellion, powerless, evil, enemies of God, isn't that when He loved us? And I believe that what God wants from you and me, when you hear about the transgendered individuals who are coming into power, those who are advocating for same-sex marriage, those who are fervently, actively advocating for abortion rights. It's very important for you and I to be characterized by deep love for those people. Deep and abiding love. Sometimes I think, this is all that God wants right now. Now, I know that that might seem a little bit too much. But I sometimes think to myself, once I get the love down, then maybe I should move forward with something else. But I think as the church, we're doing so poorly when it comes to loving that we need to take a break from all of the other truth-saying and different kind of prophetic ideas that we might have, and really spend maybe a month practicing how to love these wicked, ungodly enemies of God? What would it look like? You know, one of the things that I think we sometimes struggle with is we feel like, well, if I love them, then it's like I'm approving of their behavior. If I love them, then I'm not standing firm for the truth. But brothers and sisters, we have to see that that is a demonic lie. Because if that was true, then where would Jesus have left us? The Lord Jesus would never have been able to say to somebody like Peter, come and follow me. Because Peter was an enemy of God filled with his own self-righteousness, filled with sin, filthy with sin, when Jesus said to him, follow me. We have to remember that, and I think that we have forgotten that. We feel oftentimes justified in treating others who are made in the image of God in a very harmful way, in, I would almost say, a hateful way. Why do we do that? Why do we do that? We're not, we're not winning anything. We're not pleasing anyone when we do that. So the question is, what would it look like to love such people, Right? So here's just a couple things. We could turn to 1 Corinthians 13. And I think there's a lot of wisdom there in 1 Corinthians 13. But I want to encourage you to, even though we might still in our mind say, well, who is my brother? It almost reminds us of that uh, the man who asked the Lord about who he needed to love. Lord, who is my neighbor? In other words, How far does this love thing extend? I know I have to love, like, I know I have to love my wife, my son. I know I need to love you all. Do I also have to love that person at work who is living a lifestyle that is completely against God's created order and they're proud of it? Surely not them. That sometimes is our mindset, right? Surely not them. When I flip on the news and I see people with their protest signs and I know that what they're trying to do is to get abortion legal to make sure that those abortions can continue happening, surely not them, right? But we need to hold that in check because what I like to say is instead of thinking of the world as divided into our brothers and sisters on one side and then the unbelievers on the other side. It's our brothers and sisters and our future brothers and sisters, right? Because the point is, we don't know when the transition is going to happen. But that person that we may be demonizing today, a year from now, they may be a believer. Are we saying they weren't worthy of our love before? But now they are? No. I was just as unworthy of the Lord's love this morning as I was in 1991 when I was an unbeliever. And yet He loved me then and He still loves me today. And I think that you and I and all of our Christian brothers and sisters need to relearn the importance of love at a time like this. We hear hear a lot of language like that. A time like this. This is dark days that we're living in. All that kind of language. And so if that's true, if these are dark days, then it's really important that we get this right. What does it mean to be light at a time like this? Right? And I think sometimes we have forgotten the power of love. What Paul says in 1 Corinthians 13 is if you do all the right things, but don't have love, you're wasting your time. Do we believe that? Right. In other words, if you check all the right boxes on your doctrine, if you vote all the right ways according to God's will, you know, if you do all those right things in the way you're treat, treating your family and everything, but you don't have love, you might as well not be doing anything That's tough. That's tough because I feel in my own spirit, in my own heart, and in the conversations that I have with other Christians that we are deeply missing love. We feel very free to slander the wicked. And I'm not I'm not trying to paint with a broad brush here, I'm not saying you Ken or you, Diane, or I'm not pointing fingers. I think we could search our own hearts. And we can find we feel very free in speaking about people made in the image of God in a way that we would be embarrassed if they were here with us today. That's the question. Can we love and honor the sort of faceless person out there who's doing something we don't like in a way that we would do the same if they were here with us in our midst? I think sometimes we would be embarrassed. We would be embarrassed if they came in. So you can see in these first few verses that Paul is saying, even though I might have all knowledge, I might have all faith, but have not love, I'm nothing. And even good actions, in verse 3, done for the wrong motive, are not profitable spiritually. We might as well be the wicked at that point. What we're doing is the same as what they're doing if it's not motivated by love. So what does that love look like? We see in verse 4 these well-known, and I think justifiably so, famous verses. I might as well read them here. Love suffers long and is kind. Love does not envy. Love does not parade itself. Is not puffed up. Does not behave rudely. Does not seek its own. Is not provoked. Thinks no evil. Does not rejoice in iniquity. But rejoices in the truth. Bears all things. Believes all things, hopes all things, endures all things. Love never fails. And so the question is is this characterizing the body of Christ today? Is the body of Christ displaying this patience, this kindness? A lack of rudeness. Thinking of the other person. Not thinking evil of others. Believing the best in someone. Hoping better for someone, but loving them until they find they reach it. This is really important. It says love bears all things. Right? So yes, a lot of bad things are happening in the world. You know what? we got to bear it. Yes, people at work are starting to be more free with the way they talk about things that I'm uncomfortable with. Bear it. Bear it. Endure it. Don't wait until they clean their act up to be polite to that person. Maybe by showing that kind of love, they will change. But what happens if they don't change? It says love believes all things. Right? I'm going to believe that they could change. I'm going to believe that God will grab that person and change them and save them and bring them where He wants them to be. But what if He doesn't? Love hopes all things. Right? (laughs) So, I hope that for them. Do we? I hope desperately for that person that God will become their greatest treasure. That they will be able to leave behind this life of idolatry and enter into the truth. Because I know what a life it is. I know what it's like to feel loved by God not because of some worth that I've somehow achieved or some beauty deep in me, but loved with real love. That doesn't say you have to vote this way. You have to dress this way. You have to speak this way before you're worthy of me. I know what it's like to be loved like that. And that's what I hope for that person. But what if they still don't experience it? Love endures all things. Love never fails. Never gives up. There should never come a time where you and I feel perfectly justified to speak about a person made in the image of God in a dehumanizing way. And to tell you the truth, I'm troubled. Troubled by what I hear on Christian radio. Troubled by what I hear from politicians who claim the name of Christ. Troubled by people who are close to me that are sucked into these conversations because of the way they feel perfectly justified speaking about someone's mother, someone's father, someone's son, God's creation in a way that is ugly, filthy. And I guess lately, I believe these things need to be said. I believe we need to return to the beauty of love as the people of God. It does not mean that we blind our eyes to the truth. It does not mean that we're somehow compromising on the truth. Because the deepest truth is not what sexual orientation means. The deepest truth is that you and I are worthy of love because God made us. That's the deepest truth. So if you love someone, you are not in danger of compromising the truth. Jesus showed us that. He hung on the cross looking at one of the most violent cultures that's ever been on the earth, the Roman society. And He looked at those soldiers who had killed who knows how many people in ways that are unspeakably horrible and he was able to pray for their forgiveness. He was able to say to God, the very God who said, Thou shalt not murder, the very God who knows the truth, he was able to say, Father, forgive them, for they know not what they do. Have we forgotten what it's like to live in the dark? To live without knowing the truth? People may look confident and happy like they're having the time of their lives as they go to their drunken orgies and as they parade their uh, flamboyance across the screens of our TV shows and our movies. They may look like they're having the time of their lives. But to live in darkness is not what we were made for. We have forgotten the importance of compassion. When you read Romans 5, Paul is saying, we were weak. We were ungodly. Think about Paul. Devoted his entire life to serving God as a Pharisee. Doing everything right. Checking all the right boxes. But when he came face to face with the Lord, he knew that all that mattered about him was that he was ungodly, weak, A sinner and an enemy of the very God that he thought he was serving by killing all those Christians. We have to be humbled. We need to remember how important it is that we are defined by our love, defined by it, not just for the people in this room. But for the worst vile sinner you can picture right now, it may be a real person that you know. It may be somebody that you've seen on TV or a group of people. That's who God is calling you to love right now. And so I ask myself the question, why are we getting this wrong? Why are we getting this wrong? And I feel like there might be a lot of reasons. But I think we are spending too much time watching the news and too little time watching the Lord. And again, this feels like I'm painting with a really broad brush and I might be saying something that makes us uncomfortable. But we have to understand that Fox News is training us in hatred, it's training us in hatred. Because it is teaching us that as long as somebody is thinking differently from you, then you're perfectly justified in speaking evil of them in sometimes shocking ways. And if you only hear the Word of God for a half hour, an hour a week, but we hear that message that the world is giving us for 12, 13, 14 hours a week, Who is winning? It is not the news organization's motivation or policy or agenda to disciple you in love. We just have to realize that. They've got a lot of agendas. Some of them may be good. Some of them may be not good. But none of them is teaching you how to love like Christ. I don't care if it's CNN or NPR or MSNBC or Fox or One American News. We have to realize they are not discipling us in the love of Christ. That's why this morning when we had the Lord Jesus in front of us, I felt like God was saying, this needs to be our TV channel. This needs to be the one that fills our vision The more we see Him, the more uncomfortable we will be laughing at that joke that somebody said about transgender people. The more uncomfortable we'll be as people speak about sort of the satanic people who are advocating for abortion. We will grow uncomfortable with it. Because that's not how the Lord spoke about people. That's not how the Lord treated people. When He came to the woman at the well, this is a woman whose life was an abomination when compared to the high calling that God has given us for sexual morality. Her life was an abomination. And how did He speak to her? He loved her. He loved her. He spoke politely to her. Even this one who is higher than the highest heaven was able to speak to somebody who was way off the mark in a way that filled her with a sense of joy, worth. She knew at that point, I've been trying to fill my life with the wrong thing. I've been drinking at a well filled with salt water. I've been chasing my identity in these men and in sexuality. But this is the one that my heart has been longing for all along. Why is it that people don't look at us and think the same thing? Whether we know it or not, when the world looks at the church today, all they see is hatred and bigotry. That's because, on the one hand, the enemy is having his way. That's one reason. But I think another reason is because unfortunately, they're right. They're right about a lot of the things we say. They're right about a lot of what we champion. The the voices we hold up. And I just think it's time for us as followers of Christ, to begin to bow our knee in repentance before the Lord Jesus and say, Lord, teach me how to love. I've forgotten. I've forgotten. I've let the world's voice grab a hold of my heart and my mind. I've become conformed to the backbiting and slanderous and gossiping. All this stuff that's spoken so evilly of in the Bible. And my tongue has become a fire that is burning down the lives of people around me. We will never know how many people have been turned off of Christ because of something we've done, we've said. We will never know that. I hope. But it's never too late. It's never too late for us to return. To bow down before the Lord. And say, Lord, I want to be defined by your sacrificial enemy-embracing love. It's a lifelong struggle. And we have to know that the enemy would like nothing more than to keep us in bondage to the sense that we know what's right and until someone sort of conforms to our idea of what it means to be right, then they're outside. I love who's inside, but I'm free uh, speaking about these others in these demonic, hate-filled ways. We've got to realize Jesus is calling us out of that. He already called us out of it. He set us free. We're not enslaved to that kind of hatred. So let's be defined by something like this. Something beautiful like this. 1 Corinthians 13. Love thinks no evil. You know, I, I have a student who's a, a transgendered individual. Every time I see her, i found that the Lord is filling me with love. And I believe that this is where God is calling us. In the coming months and years, however long He leaves us here, I believe that He is calling us back to love. It's going to look different ways and, different, and I know that even now you're saying we've got to speak truth. Speak the truth in love. And I realize that, but I feel like we have become unbalanced. I feel like we have become unbalanced. We like this idea of tough love so much that we've emphasized the toughness, we forgot the love. Tough love does not dehumanize people. You don't have to dehumanize someone to tell them the truth. And I think that we've forgotten that. So I would just leave with you, maybe this is a little harsher than it might have been intended to be, but I guess lately I've been troubled by some of the things that I've heard in some different conversations that I've had, and I feel like let's continue to be before the Lord and say, Lord, what does it look like for me I know that it's right for me to be characterized by love because God is love. I am now one of God's people. And so I know that I have to be defined by love. But I don't know what it looks like. I don't know what it looks like. Remind me what that looks like, Lord. And I think that He can do a lot. I think that He will do a lot for us to free us from some of the more harmful messages that are coming at us all the time tricking us into holding stances and beliefs and doing actions that are against what God wants for us. So maybe as we just close, we can close our eyes and and bring the Lord Jesus before the eyes of our faith. is that same Jesus who when He was invited to the home of the Pharisee, this narrow-minded, bigoted, arrogant, greedy ruler. The Lord didn't say, I'm not coming to a house like that. He went. And then when a woman came in, whose sexual ethic was so far from God's design that she was looked at as mere filth by the people around them. He didn't look at her that way. Somehow the Lord Jesus was able to love Simon the Pharisee and this woman, this adulterous woman with the same love. Lord Jesus, that's what we want for ourselves. That's a skill that we do not have. That's something we need to be transformed into. And so we just pray, God, that you would fill us, so fill our vision with the Lord Jesus that we could see nothing else. That he begins to shape our attitudes toward people, our actions. Toward people, the things we say on a day to day basis. Because He is the one who is true, noble, commendable, praiseworthy, pure. He's the one. Help us to think on that. Lord, fill our mind with the Lord Jesus. Fill our hearts and our souls with Him. That we can't help but overflow in love. It's all we have. There's nothing left. There's nothing left of that bitter taste of evil and hatred. And so we pray for the strength to do it and the commitment to draw close to you. We ask this in the name of the Lord Jesus. Amen.